This is Scott Allen, and you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are part two of music and interviews with Dan Murphy and Jeff Arundel of The Scarlet Goodbye and Scott Allen. Also part one of three with the top five Bob Dylan songs of all time with the celebrity guest panel of T.D. Mishke, Courtney Yasmine, Ryan Young of Trampled by Turtles, and myself with guest judges Nicole Stanton and Samuel John. I'm your host, Mark Sterry, and thank you for supporting live and local music. Next up is part two of two with Dan Murphy, previously of Soul Asylum and Golden Smog, and Jeff Arundel, who are the Scarlet Goodbye, and we discuss tracking their new album, Hope's Eternal. Afterwards, hear their new song, Sandy. Let's start with Sandy, because I had that written down as one of my favorite al- songs on the album, although it's later in the record. What, uh, what's the story behind that rockin' tune? Because it's mm. majorly, it's rockin', man. I loved it. I could play the, I have the, um, I recorded on my phone, just me going, then I do this, right? Make up something and, and text it to the other guy. And so I, I had that melody. I texted it to Dan. Remember? Yeah, I do. And I Dan love it. That chuggy, you know, that chugging thing, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's the one we recorded through a an old stereo, an old yeah. hi-fi speaker cabinet. Yeah. His guitar sound. And, and but, Jeff plays a riff, like the, the opening riff is, is and I and, think, you know, Jeff was more of an acoustic player, a finger picker, but I think it, when we recorded that, it was amazing to see jeff's face i don't know if you ever recorded a god no rock song like that and jeff's like no that was pretty uh, fucking cool man he was yeah. like you know it was yeah. really funny it was it was a good reaction because i recorded a lot of up-tempo you know garage rock songs and for me i was like I, I dug it but to see jeff just light up with the sound of it was really really fun see i think that's what dan and i did mark is like dan made this song minor things which was something that he hadn't typically done. And we did Sandy, which I had never done. And that was what's cool about it, right? But the lyrics in Sandy, like, I love Steely Dan, you know? Oh, my and God, ly- yes. The lyrics in Sandy are kind of Steely Dan-esque. Dark. Well, but, but like, but, uh, your pool's alive. Your friends are like candy. I'm getting ready to dive. You know, all that stuff is, is to me, Steely Danish. It's my... Maybe my favorite lyrics on the record just because it's funny when you listen to it. It's like really funny. My name was never on the honor, honor roll. Yeah. I'd love that part. Yeah. 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 It's, you it's can a, hear the dance. It's a that. loser's lament. It's loser's lament. That's outstanding. One By the way, way I, don't, oh. I don't think she did come back to him after that. No, she's gone. She's gone. gone. She's gone. Yeah. That's Wishful hilarious. One of my favorite parts on the entire album is the acoustic and the intro and the cool voices of the song Panic and Blame. Who's uh, yeah. who's who did that? Well, it was the band and it was Jeff Victor, who used to be in Sussman Lawrence and a lot of other projects. We just gave him the track and he did those keyboards some background vocals and all that kind of atmospheric kind of Fleetwood yeah, Mac melody, song. that vocal melody. Yeah, it's his melody. So I was amazed we gave him two songs we gave him um the ballad of julianne and panic and blame those are the last two things that we recorded and we didn't give him any direction and he sent us back stuff and we we're like holy holy shit there's some stuff on there yeah. you know where's he at? yeah he's from minneapolis okay he he's played with you you heard of peter himmelman okay 
Yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, he played in Andrew WK's band and he's he's a great musician. But isn't it interesting, Mark, that that song and Sandy, you know, that's that's the essence of the Scarlet Goodbye really is that breadth of they're not it's not all Sandy and it's not all panic and blame. And it's it's a variation of these different things. Some of it softer, some of it louder, you know. So it makes yeah, it I mean, a fun Jack- listening process, you know, listening to it. It goes from, you know, acoustic yeah. to rock and roll. It just kind of all it's kind of all over the place for, you know, folks that really, there's no really rap work. on it. But otherwise, <laughs> there's, there's all kinds next, of references. Next record, next record. Yo, yo, yo. But we really worked on uh, harmony singing. That's something that I feel like we can do. Yeah, uh, we both like people. People <laughs> like to sing in the band. So like the harmony aspect is something we really tried to put on almost everything on the record to kind of give it. It's kind of some weird harmony singing too. It's not like very oh, yeah. typical. It kind of goes up and down in different intervals and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So I watched your video for Rosary. Can you tell us the story behind that song and about shooting that vis- video at the Aster? Like who shot it? It looked great. You guys are kind of being rowdy and rocking her out and stuff. Yeah, it was John Hurchard. Is that how you pronounce Herkert. it? Herkert and John Fields. John Fields who mixed the record. Um, the that was one of the first things we recorded. That was the second recording session. And uh, it was kind of when I was driving over to Jeff's house and I, I drove past the governor's mansion and there was a bunch of people protesting that they had to wear masks it was like during COVID and stuff. So there were all these people like getting in policemen's faces and like, I'm not wearing. So I, I think I, I came up with a line, the rapture is coming, but it's not for them. <laughs> And we changed Jeff. So that's a good line for your song. So we changed it to the rapture's coming, but, but it's, it's not, not for me. me. But that was kind of, um, I'm not a overtly or any type of religious person. I mean, I was raised Catholic. So was I. Yeah. I think a rosary is kind of like, I see it as something that's like an article of faith that doesn't really mean anything. And so I was making the analogy that love is like a rosary. Like love is something that people cling to or hang on to, even when there's no love there. So that's kind of the the impetus of the song. It's like love love is like a rosary. It, you know, you can put it up to someone, but it it doesn't do anything on its own. It has to be worked on or it has to be nurtured, I guess. Yeah, it takes a lot of commitment to get through all the prayers across that. So yeah, it's saying, you know, I took it as as yeah, you're it's, it takes a commitment to do this and and it, it, yeah, I I loved it. That was great. Yeah, I think that was like one of the first things and then that has a I've never recorded a song with you can almost dance to it, which is interesting. Yeah. Also, Mark, almost dance to it. <laughs> you can almost dance to it. Mark, are you a guitar player? Absolutely, guitar and harmonica and singer. Yep. All right. So you know, normally you wouldn't play a melody under the singing. You know, you play the melody and then you play chords while you sing. But Dan and I suggested that Dan not play the melody, and he, he was steadfast. He's like, "No, I'm playing this thing under it," which is complicated. You know what I mean? So he's got to play that part and sing if you listen to the recording there's no there's no chord playing under it it's all that melody and they're not at all similar so for me like i have to do this kind of complicated arpeggio guitar thing and then sing a vocal line that doesn't follow the guitar thing so it's not my favorite one to play live yet but it's getting better i think i think you guys have a video of that on youtube of you doing i think it's that song you're doing something tricky and singing at the same time and i was like and i was like whoa yeah. yeah, it's not fool on a stool, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna make a easier songs for the next record, right? No, are we? We're gonna go. No, easy. you're right. Let's go easier. If he's listening also, to Steely Dan, they're not gonna be any easier. Dan's, <laughs> Dan's mad. 
Dan has a knack at a snarky line, including the cover, you know, Hope's Eternal, and then the woman is surrounded by knives, you know, like high hopes he doesn't hit me with the next one. And that line, the rapture's coming, but it's not for me, is I think a great kind of snarky line, right? Absolutely. Especially for you Catholic boys. Recovering Catholic boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're recovering Catholic. We're all in treatment. (laughs) (laughs) So how about the music video? You guys have some more music videos coming? Well, it's interesting. I hired a good, not a good friend of mine, but someone I I really respect his work, a local filmmaker named Pablo Jones. And um, we did a video over the last month for the song, The Ballad of Julianne. And I don't appear in the video, which is kind of great. Are you a, a Gold Smog fan at all? Do you Absolutely. know that band? Uh, uh, ever since you came along is one of my favorite songs of all time. And to, and, and to tell you, uh, Dan, I do a lot of top five podcasts where I'll gather musicians. We'll usually meet at the B-Dale Club in St. Paul, and they'll talk about our favorite song. Like, we just did the top five 1990s bands and, and whatever. We do, like, concerts anyway. The best concert I've ever been to, and the first concert I ever saw was Soul Asylum. Oh, really? That cool. was that was one of my I, that was one that's probably one of my favorite bands. When we've talked about our top top five favorite bands, Soul Asylum is Thank on you. there. Absolutely, seen you guys a million times, and literally coming from a small town in Turtle Lake, seen you guys up there rocking. It was in uh, Somerset. It was the first one. You guys were the Jim Blossoms, yeah. the Tina, the B sides, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and. Brother Kane was the hard rock band. And then I saw yeah. you guys play Midway Stadium, which I live by, you know, lived by there afterwards. And that just literally changed my life. Cool. So this is that. an honor. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the Golden Smog thing is that we had a song called B that was on our second record that Gary and Craig wrote. And like the lyric is, um, when I was down, she was full of advice because she'd been there once or twice with the ring in the side of her nose wearing other people's clothes. So that woman, V, is Victoria Norville, and she was married to Adam Levy, who's in the Honey Dogs and stuff. And their daughter, Esther, the daughter of the woman in the song V, is Julianne in the video. So she stars in this video, which is like 30 shades of ironic. Starts off black and white. It's like kind of interpersonal personal relationships in this little apartment. And then um, they have a baby. And then the protagonist in the song joins a traveling burlesque show. So it kind of turns into like like a Bob Fosse movie in the middle of it. But it was pretty pretty fun to do. I think it came out really good. And that'll be released on March 24th as well. Awesome. How about uh, one more song to ask you about that and you guys can bring up another one if you like. How about Angel Dust? Uh, Jeff wanted me to write, try to write a happy song, so we wrote it together. Well, Dan had the riff, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, like, we're like, it was kind of right in the middle of COVID, right? It was not a super happy time for a lot of people. But I think the impetus was to write something positive about relationships and interpersonal mm-hmm. stuff and write something positive. And Angel Dust, I mean, that was around when I was in high school. I never messed around with it, but I thought that was kind of a funny, funny name for a song. Yeah. I love that track. That's awesome. Who plays in your live band? So Ben Peterson on drums and Pat Nelson on bass. They've been around in this band, Dirk Train. And Pat Nelson's in a lot of bands. 20 bands. Yeah, 20 bands and played a lot live. And then we got a really interesting guy, Pat Frederick, who was one of the founders of this band, Daisy Dillman. Do you remember them, Mark? Uh, Yep. And uh, he's a multi-instrumentalist pat 
and singer. Uh, so we've got Pat Frederick, Pat Nelson, and Ben Peterson, and then me and Dan. It's a five piece that we play a lot in. <laughs> up as part two of two with scott allen and we discussed his new album my own grown eyes and afterwards here is new single black ice freeway how about the yeah. song the safening that's one of my other favorite ones too and it's that, specifically who played that guitar part at the end what that cool solo as it fades that out that was that was also patrick tanner the song the safening um i've said this in um other interviews and stuff uh, when when folks ask me about my songwriting technique, I say, well, technique pick this technique that the safening just showed up. I was really cold. It was uh, the uh, it was January first, you know, and we're sitting. Okay, New Year's Eve is done. All the stuff is done. I'm not feeling well. I'm getting over a funk, and it's that slow period between the first of the year and Valentine's Day when nothing goes on in our industry, right? So we're all just kind of sitting on our heels. And I sat down, and all of a sudden, it's cold all around us. And that came out of my mouth, and I, 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 the song just wrote itself. I wrote it in one sitting, the version that you hear. Patrick took it and did all those wonderful guitar things to it at the end um and that that's one of my favorite things it's like a song 
the song finishes and then Patrick does his outro and uh, he does. He sits down and he doesn't edit out his parts. He sits down and he plays them from start to finish. If there's something that he doesn't like about it, he just starts over and does the whole thing. So uh, a lot of those tracks you hear of his are first take. Uh, amazing. It, he, he's amazing. I can't stress that enough. But the safening, um, we also have, uh, I have a video coming out for that one too. Should be out in a few weeks um, that I did with Kurt and Brianna Jorgensen. They're good friends of mine. Maybe they've been on your show too, the Jorgensons. Yep, they just were on. They were just on. Uh, Kurt and I went out and shot at Como Park all over the place. Como Park and the the streetcar station where, you know, where we vote sometimes. And um, Brianna takes the footage and Brianna edits it and um, amazing work. We have one more scene left to shoot for the video and I'm going to make Patrick sit in a guitar in a snowbank and play that uh, guitar solo out in the snow. We have a dummy guitar all made up for him so he doesn't ruin an instrument doing it. But we need I, I'm like, PT, you've got to be in my video. So that's uh, that we're going to shoot that next week and then Brianna's going to finish it up. But yes, I'm glad you like that song. It's it's one of my favorites as well. Cool. I'll ask you about one more. How about Finest Hour? The Finest Hour is that song. I have had now four people, uh, adults, come to me and say, Scott, your song made me cry. Literally made me cry. It appeals to, it seems to appeal to uh, parents with empty nests. Uh, and even, uh, well, Brianna Tag Jorgensen was one of them that was emotionally taken by the song, she said. And she's, you know, the mother of a, fi- a darling five-year-old named William. That song came about um, my daughter, the clinical pharmacist, and my, my two grandchildren. They live in Sartell, Minnesota. We, I remember the first summer, uh, the COVID vaccine was available. Pfizer shot number two, two weeks later, and I'm literally standing on their doorstep. Give me those grandkids. So the finest hour is about the first two days that I was reunited with my grandkids after lockdown. And the things that I have goosebumps, Mark, just talking about it, remembering that day and hugging my seven-month-old grandson, Marco, for the first time on that day. We, we, We stuck with the COVID protocols. We kept safe. We didn't know what was going on. So I'm almost tearing up uh, talking about it because the uh, it, it it was the finest hour. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Wow. So that's the wow. origin of, of that song. What, let's say, so 25 years. So who would you say, I'm sure you ask this all the time, but I'm just so curious. I used to play the Caboose years and years ago. I'm sure you did sound, you know, whatever. We opened uh-huh. for Junior Brown and all that stuff there. We did City Pages stuff, whatever. I was with uh, Dan Neal. Do you know Dan Neal at all? Oh, I absolutely. I uh, With Patrick and Danny, we're both in Martin Zeller and the Hardways, and uh, he's got a Neil Diamond tribute. I used to do sound like that. Danny Neal, Roseville guy, too. Yeah, Danny just played with me the B-Deal last Thursday. Nice. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Tell him I said hi. I'll oh. come down there. Is it just you under your name? Yeah, just under my name. And I have guest musicians okay. all the time. And, and uh, who's coming up? Some female singer next time. Then after that, do you know Scott Wenham? 
Yes, I do. Scott's playing the next time after that. And then okay. uh, Andy, he's drumming for you, or yeah, is he he's going to do a little drumming and dance singing because I love. We're going to do a bunch of Chris Isaac shit. He loves okay. that, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, then after that, do you know Andy Crowley? I remember Andy Crowley. So he plays me. Down oh my in- God! Did isn't that the same uh, Andy Crowley? That's not the guy that was the guitar tech for Soul Asylum, was it? No, that was Matt Kurt, Matt uh, Everson. Um, Andy, Crow- I just had Dan Murphy on though the other day from Soul Asylum. That was pretty cool. Yes, his new band is shaking up town too. Yeah, they're doing good. But uh, so for the Caboose, who would you say? What what if you had to pick one artist or a couple artists? What one stuck out to you as the best shows you did sound for at the Caboose? Uh, the first time. And every time I saw Derek Trucks play, that kid, I, I, him and Joe Bonamassa, I did sound for those two kids. They were kids when they started. And, and both of them, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that as one, one of my answers, that both of those two, to watch Derek Trucks play the guitar, he's in a different universe than the rest of us. And... Um, I when I first started the caboose, there was a lot of blues there. So I had blues, blues, blues going through my head, and then all of a sudden Joe Bonamassa would show up and I'm like, holy crap. Um and then also um in there, John Mayall, even in his older years, John Mayall would come in. I remember I was there doing monitors one night, and he was standing next to me in the monitor pit, just rocking out to the opening band, right? And having the time of his life. When the band got done playing, he could not wait to get on that stage and start. He was fidgeting backstage. He would help the opening band take their gear off the stage. And then he just ran, put down his drink, and started playing. It's like I've never seen a man so pumped to go play a live show. John Mayall, and this was later in his career, too. Amazing. But I think my favorite band ever to come through the caboose was a cover band called Dread Zeppelin. They were amazing. Uh, they did all Led Zeppelin songs. They did them reggae style with an Elvis impersonator as the lead singer. And they were voted Led Zeppelin's favorite Led Zeppelin cover band by uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. They're, they, they were amazing. They were amazing.
would like to take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, Heidi Chrysler Zombroda and the B-Dale Club. Spring is almost here. My car's filthy, but we're loving it. My rocking around the countryside in my black Jeep Cherokee got from ID Chrysler. With $250 in my old car, just too much for that poor thing to take. I found myself looking for my new dream ride at ID Chrysler, and the staff can be more helpful with me choosing vehicle and willing to work with my, at the time I called it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ZombrotaCDJR.com or take a beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler's Zombrota today. Enjoy a safe spring season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. And the B-Dale Club, the BDC 2100, one of my favorite bars in the Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota area. They're located at the corner of County Road B and Dale, and their motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And that is the Stone Cold Truth at a really fun show last week with Andy Crowley and the BDC All-Stars with Nicole Stanton and Sam Johns and Brian Johnson. Looking forward to do that one again for sure. Natalie, Shelley, Dustin, the entire bar staff for all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is Jameson Ginger like Joan. And they're to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, Taste it, little devils. Live music, pool table, pull tabs, Tuesday night, chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball Thursdays, and much, 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 much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a cold one today. Next up is part one of three with the top five Bob Dylan songs of all time with celebrity guest panel of T.D. Mishke, Courtney Yasmine, Ryan Young of Trampled by Turtles, and myself with guest judges Nicole Stanton and Samuel John. Enjoy! So we're is that doing just coming to you now, the idea of recording tonight's show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, That's funny. But what we're doing is we're doing a, a top five Bob Dylan songs, except we're going to kind of gear it towards, because my thought process was we're a bunch of marks for Bob Dylan, and so we'd, play, we'd pick the weirdest shit of all time, because I like more of the B-side stuff. Okay. But I would like to comp- compile a five-song greatest hits like album or EP, whatever it be, and gear it towards folks that don't know much about Bob Dylan, and that might give us more opportunities. So, so we'll go. We'll do a snake draft like fantasy football. You pick a song, and say why you picked it. And if someone says your song, it's then off the list. You can't use it again. And then there'll be a little wrinkle question at the very, very end. So that's how we do it. But this is important. We're picking these songs, which changes it for me. We're picking these songs based on giving people not familiar with him a sort of best of uh, variety pack that they can take with them that includes only five songs. Yes. Now that, when you put it in those parameters, that's very different than my favorite Bob Dylan songs because a different mission is at stake. We're trying to get people to understand him in a way that's fair to the man and his music. And so I'm picking songs maybe from different eras, which I would not necessarily do if I were picking my favorite. Just to let you know. Yes. It depends on how bad you want to win this this tournament here. Uh, And we have winners. And uh, And the the judges... 
the judges. And the judges are basing their decision on what? Like what whatever, are, is whoever. There a swimsuit competition. What are you basing it on? What they're basing it on is, I would suggest, is that what greatest hits compilation do they want to take home and put in their car? But do they know all these songs? I we'll describe them. We'll play a little bit on break, maybe, and they're going to ask the bar. They're going to ask us. That we have the we have the curling uh, the chess society here too. They're going to go around and ask people. Just it just just for the fun of it. I, I think the players. Yeah, they're chess society here tonight on Tuesdays too. That changes things too. Yes. I think the why is if you pick a song, you know, you, you pick a song, and you say why. I think that's going to have influence. Very right? good. Because yes. we're yeah. we're a couple under thirty folk and who are not exposed to Bob Dylan as you guys are. So yes, so that's it'll it'll be cool. Also, I promote myself all day long every day. <laughs> I know a lot about promoting. So everything's sounding okay, so try not to touch him, but when you talk, get real close. Yeah. Right. Right in there. I think we should be okay. Coming in there. Yeah, but in I in would there. also like to say that I think that there are songs that I perform of Bob Dylan's myself in my shows, and I'm not picking any of those. Because those songs really work for me, for my personal narrative and my way of singing and stuff like that but so i don't even sing the ones that i think would be best for this list at all i don't either i don't either um side note what's that i do (laughs) (laughs) courtney i thought of you the other day Okay, um, we were playing Nicole, Sam, and I. We had this little thing we're called the B-Dill Club All Stars, little jam thing down here, and uh, I, I rocked. For that. that was cool. Yeah, you I we back. rocked. Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, oh. the Alabama Three version of it. Oh, that's fantastic! It's that's a John Prine song, but Alabama Three. They did like the Sopranos town, theme song. They, I love that band. They had a really cool version of it, and we rocked it on Thursday. Oh, it's one of God my favorite songs. She put it on one of her records. Yeah, I have, I have a version of it that I love. Yes. Too. Okay, so let's start this draft. So Nicole, if you don't mind passing the hat around, let's just Ryan pick a number and then kind of make a list one through then. So see who gets the first draft pick, like an NFL draft. All right, so I'm gonna hand it off to Ryan first. And Ryan, what number you got? Let's see here. <laughs> I'm scared already. I'm so scared. Two. He's two. All, All right. right. That's, he's going to be right behind me. <laughs> Let's get this over with. Come on, numero uno. Here we go. No, that doesn't feel like a one. I can feel Braille. What are these in Braille for? Hang on a second. <laughs> I folded them up really good so you can't cheat. It's going to work. So I don't even pick because what I just kind of a world do we live in where I'm behind are. Ryan? Oh, okay. Four you got three? Yep. Okay. All right, what do I have? Well, I think I can guess, right? Yeah, my guess really? is you're going to be one. Oh, you're going to. I can play two. That's yep. why I was saying that, too. I was okay. saying I don't need Oh, I don't feel one. so bad about three now. Okay, well, I'm one. All right, Courtney's one. All right, now I'm four, so yeah. I get this. Okay, so right. how this works is that we'll go around. So who's who's one? You're one. Moi. And then so go one. Two, three, four, and then we'll start in reverse order. Go back, so it's like start a snake thing. Um, first oh, of all, oh yeah, let's grab a beer. What? Yeah, for sure. Okay, can I ask a really quick question? If if I'm number one, like as far as like strategizing for myself, yes, wouldn't would I not pick my song that I think is the one that's most likely to be picked by other others of us? Isn't that the right strategy? That would probably be a wise strategy. I would think so. Yeah, because right. your next pick won't be till eight. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. 
You got to see we're battling over here, though. We got some pretty good prizes tonight for the winner of this uh, extravaganza. You, I don't know if you have ever read much about the Roman gladiators. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot like that tonight. <laughs> well, wait. So my other strategy would be to pick the one that I think is my coolest choice that maybe nobody else has thought of. But that's not a good idea. I wouldn't think so, because okay. like that one, if if that one's likely not to be yeah. called by another person, then. You could probably somewhat safely just sit on that one. All right, that's I'm, that's, I'm, that's I the last guy I visited with in Chicago told me you're overthinking it. <laughs> yeah, this is just a fun game. Okay, so the prizes are. I'm an overthinker. Okay, I'm gonna get the prize. Don't mind the Beetle Club shitter fan. That's just part of the podcast. <laughs> Here we go. So our prizes that we're battling over are a trip to Buckman. <laughs> Let's have this be what place? Last place. Who's got the worst? No, let's see. Runner-up. Okay. Runner-up gets this bottle of whatever the hell it is. Uzo. Uzo. It's Uzo. Uzo. It's like Uzo. the most famous Uzo. drink to come out of Greece. The winner of this gets... If you're having a Greek wedding. I'm going to go for second place then. The winner gets vinyl. Right off the presses, Charlie Dino's band, Fire on a Mountain on vinyl. Ooh. Oh, wow. that's a nice cover, too. Yes. Yeah. The winner gets that. Also, the, the, the trophy... Especially made a few guys. Is a trophy. A four by six of Grizzly Adams. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. That is a yeah. prize right there. I think that's I the one that. that everybody should yeah. win. That's, that's the one. That's I really why want. is Grizzly Adams on this? Why not? That's why the not? question. It's just funny. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. overthink it. It just. I've had. I, I am Sun, I've had a picture it. of Sonny Bono on there. So yeah, the Grizzly yeah. Adams on there. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> so yeah, so you get a little eight by a little five, four by whatever it is, four by six of uh, Grizzly Adams top five Bob Dylan song. That's the trophy for tonight. We're battling yes. over. So, Roman Coliseum, yes. All right, let's do it. All right. Okay, so how we do this is we're gonna start with uh, I'm trying to think. Is anything I'm forgetting? And also, there's drink tokens here too, so we're good with that. Wow! Now you tell me. Okay. Um. So go through one, and then go back. Trying to think, is anything I'm missing? And we'll take a little break after a couple of rounds. So, uh, let's. Nicole, so you're kind of in charge with this, since Sam. Who goes first? Oh, let me introduce everybody. Okay, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown here at the beautiful B-Dale Club in Roseville, South St. Paul, Minnesota. We're for the top five Bob Dylan songs of all time, and we're gearing them towards. A top five compilation of songs to present to folks that don't know Bob Dylan as well as us Marks do. So kind of a, we're compiling our own little greatest hits albums. So we have Ryan Young here to my left. Uh, Ryan plays in a bunch of bands. Pertner Sandstone, Trapped by Turtles, The Fiddlers, right, still? Yeah, technically. Yeah, so we got uh, T.D. Mishke, Tom Mishke, good buddy of mine. He, uh, the Mishki Road Show, check him out on all podcasts. And radio legend, absolutely great to have you guys here. Courtney Yasmini, a friend of mine, a fellow Coorsy drinker. She's done a podcast with me down at Beto Club before. She's toured all over, big Bob Dylan fan. And you guys can tell your stories as you go along. The judges this week, besides all the folks here at the beautiful Beedale Club, the BDC 2100, we call it Sam Johns, a singer-songwriter around the St. Paul area here as well that plays down here, and Nicole Stanton, one of the best singers I've ever heard in my entire life, and they're our judges for this evening. So we'll get started. Nicole, who is number one? All right, so first up is going to be Courtney. Thank you, Nicole. Um, all right, so I've decided that I'm going with... Not the first song of Bob Dylan's that I ever heard in my whole life, but the first song of Bob Dylan's that I ever liked. 
in my whole life. That's a distinction to make. So um, I'm going with a very famous song like a Rolling Stone. Oh, shit. There goes right off my list. <laughs> and what's the significance of that song? Like, let's, you didn't ever heard of Bob Dylan. Like, what is, what's so interesting about that song? Well, one of the things about it is that it does have some kind of distinction as one of the um, most famous or most played or something recordings, like, in the last century and a half or something. I mean, it's a very, uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a magnificent recording. And um, and it did well on radio, which probably a lot of the other songs we're going to talk about maybe did end, but that one did. And the song was like a breakout song for him, genre-wise, and like attitude-wise. Like he really, he threw down hard, and it's, it's raw, but it's really well-written. And I remember I asked Ryan this when you did Wait So Long. You said you made, you came up with that fiddle part on the fly. And I believe that that famous lick on Like a Rolling Stone, I think the key, ding, 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 I think he came up with that on the fly too, didn't he? Yes, that's the story. I know well, that he story. didn't. Dylan didn't. Al no, Cooper did. Al yep. Cooper did. Yep. And he wasn't even supposed to be there, A. He wasn't supposed to be playing on a B, and that's not his instrument, C. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so all you need to know that. about the weirdness of recording with Dylan. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm so glad that you know that story well enough to tell it because I know the story, but I couldn't have, I didn't have any of the details. So that it's a, it's an important story. And I hate to do a pitch for your pick, giving you even more of a possibility of winning, but that song cannot not be on the list. Right. So that can't. So you you just want it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good first choice for because yeah. it has to be on the list. It's his biggest hit. Yeah. For most of the singer-songwriters who came slightly after him, it's the song that most rocked their world. They all can talk for pages yeah. on what that song did to them, how it changed them. Uh, John Hyatt actually tells a story of hearing that song while his mother was in the laundromat. He's like 16 years old, mm -hmm. and literally expecting her to come out from having done the laundry not recognizing him. He expected there to be that much change in who he was as a person that she'd no longer recognize him. And that's it's typical of the stories people tell. I have I have a little story about the day that I heard it. I remember exact. I remember like where I was standing. I remember everything. And um, my family was falling apart. My mother, uh, my dad was being indicted for insider trading on the stock exchange in Chicago, and he had disappeared. And the line that says, you better take your diamond ring down and you better pawn it, babe, became like, I just stood there and my mom was listening to the song and we, my, bro my big brother was playing it for us. And we all just started like shouting, and we all had tears streaming down our faces. I was 16 at the time, I think. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Courtney. Wow. Um, maybe later you can tell us how much Bob Dylan influenced your life in general and your life, you know, the, your trajectory of your life. So great pick. All right. Nicole, who's number two? Number two, we have Ryan. Ryan. Hello. What's your number one pick, my friend? Well, geez. Okay, so if I'm going to have to pick uh, strategically, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Times They Are Changing Then. Mm. Oh, it's a classic. It's a really good song. Yeah. 
And he says he never wrote any political songs. Is that considered a political song? Well, you can't trust him. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) He has no idea what's going on. No, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the first uh, famous song of his that was on his second record. Uh, I don't believe he had any hits on his first record. No. And that's uh, another brilliant pick because I would argue that has to be on a list as yeah, well. So yeah, now yeah. song two has to be on yeah. the list. I totally agree with that. I yeah. I know that he wrote it around the age of 19 and it came out when he was maybe around 20 in 1961. And that was the year I was born. Hmm. And I've always thought that in my entire life, for different reasons... That song is always still applicable or applicable, whatever the word is. But it, the word still works, or the song still works every you, year for different politicians, different things that are happening in right. the world. But somehow the song still works. Yeah, you could play it uh, in the early 60s, you could play it in 68, you could play it in 80, have it make sense. In 91, you could have played it, and someone could have said, yeah, that makes sense. Written for 91, I get it. You could have written it in 2016. It's a weird song that way that mm-hmm. makes you rethink how society moves and how these pivotal moments are everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. And yet it's not vague like a Nostradamus thing that, no, for some reason it is vague enough where it can fit everything but it does not you can it's for some reason still applies to all these these years as well the one of the very last lines is and the first one now will later be last i think that's the the very last line before for the times they are changing and it's great when you don't like the president it's a great song to sing but it's it there's always somebody who you think is first right now who will later be last? Yeah, and that's that's kind of like biblical. That is taken from yeah. the Bible, which Dylan mm-hmm. was using then already and did forever the rest of his career. Yeah, I remember one time interviewing Molly Mayer, and she talked about how often she reads the Bible solely for lyric ideas. I think she got that from Dylan. I don't know, but that's yeah. great. Uh, for clarification, about Tom. Molly. So, if my grandma's listening, are you talking about the King James Bible or Satanic Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's the beer drinker's Bible, which is oh. no. Uh, but it it is it is fascinating that he doesn't throw a single line in there that that gives away the time it was written, which you easily could have yeah. done. He doesn't throw in one line. I often think of that when I listen to music over the years. I'll see the one word or the one line that says, oh, I know, and that was done. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, whether it's Prince saying you don't have to watch Dynasty to have an attitude or mm-hmm. feeling groovy, Paul Simon, that one little thing that happened, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I know where we are. Yeah. Dylan mm-hmm. doesn't do that or didn't do that. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I got your text late last night. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's songs that had pagers in them, you know, back in the oh, 90s yeah. and early 2000s and stuff. Shit. It's very dating. Uh, well, that's think, a great pick. Go ahead. I, I was thinking uh, how you said, uh, you know, it could be from the 60s, it could be from the 70s, it could be from the 90s. Does it go back? Like, could it have been written... About the 50s or 1776, the 40s? 1776, sure, yeah. 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 There just comes a point at of which musically time. it would have thrown the guys a curveball, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I never thought about it going back in and reverse. And there's, there's also, there's the verse about the writers and critics, there's the verse about the senators and congressmen, and then there's the verse about the mothers and fathers. 
and he says, he he had that phase where he said, I don't trust you if you're over 30. And he, he had that interview where he looked out at the audience and he said to the press people, like, yeah, a lot of you people have more hair on your faces than you do in the top of your heads or something. It was, I mean, he was definitely an ageist young person. And in the in the in this song, in the verse about the mothers and fathers, he says, "Please get out, please get out of the way if you can't lend a hand." Right. Wow, unbelievable. Okay, who is number three? I am Tom Mischke. TD. You guys are already messing with my world, <laughs> so already I'm having to rethink. As Ryan said, to I'm think taking a whole different strategically. I'm, you know how you put percentages by a guy's chances of winning? I'm way down right now. I've got about a 45% chance of winning right now. Do something off of his Christmas album now. Right, good. Or Frank Sinatra cover. <laughs> All right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, at least say check with this one. I think I'm thinking strategically as well. I don't believe this one can be off the list either. Again, with key, keeping in mind that we're giving someone songs that cover different eras. Think of where you guys have pulled from. You guys have pulled from the 60s. I move into the 70s and offer Tangled Up in Blue. Oh yeah. Many people, many people consider Blood on the Tracks to be his best album. Many people consider that the best song on that album. I think Dylan thought it was. It's the, the album starts mm -hmm. out with that song. I would argue you have mm -hmm. to have that on any list of appreciation for Dylan because it's moving in a, into a different era of Dylan, a different part of Dylan. It doesn't sound like his 60s stuff. The thing he used to say always about his 60s stuff is that, particularly when he went electric, he was looking for what he called that thin mercury sound, which no one ever has used before as a phrase. I don't even know what it means, but it seems to make sense with his stuff. You wouldn't have said that about anything on Blood on the Tracks. There was no thin mercury sound. You wouldn't have said it of anything before uh, his electric period either. That's why um, it's so good to pick um, the times they are changing. But I would say the three we've offered right now... Mm -hmm are dangerously close to the three that have to be on there, leaving only two wild cards. Yeah, right. I haven't played yet, Tom. Um, so you are in a, in, a, in a pickle. No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. Interesting about that song, most college kids love the beat generation. Jack, Tom, you just did a podcast about Jack Kerouac, mm -hmm. you know, this summer. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, I told you at the Saints game, it's one of my favorite podcasts. A lot of people like that. And uh, growing up, you know, Jack Kerouac was such an influence on my life as a musician, as a person, whatever. And Allen Ginsberg, that's when Bob Dylan, I believe, was hanging out with Allen Ginsberg. Mm -hmm. And the, he wrote that, that song under his kind of tutelage, I believe. Um, Which song? Uh, Tangled Up in Blue, Blood on the Tracks album. Under Ginsburg, he was tutelage. hanging out with Allen Ginsburg. Almost positive. I'm almost positive you're wrong. It's Let's talk late. about that in break. Too I, late. Too late. It's too late. Maybe it's too late. He was all done hanging out with Ginsburg. What he was hanging out with was his emotions over his divorce. His divorce. I understand, but I, I swore he was hanging with Ginsburg. You that could time. have me there. It could have been a late. Gathering with Ginsburg, but his days with Ginsburg were 60s as far as I know. Okay. We'll check on that later. All right. All right. Keeping things moving. 
I'm number four, I'm guessing, Nicole. You are number four. And so what I'm going to dive in here is by presenting a greatest hit. So I spent a lot of time being a songwriter for a publishing company in Nashville for 10 years. For this, I just got holds and nothing, obviously, whatever. But So we studied songwriting and the process so much and tore apart every single word of these modern country songs and whatever. And then here comes what I think this is remarkable about Bob Dylan. I think is genius. So he started in the 60s. And in 1997, off his Time Out of Mind record, he had a song called To Make You Feel My Love, which is one of the best ballads, one of the best heartfelt things. I have no idea what age you'd have been then. But it was covered. I literally played it at countless weddings. People use that to symbolize what they feel towards their partner. Garth Brooks, variety of other people cover it all the time. And that just throws all that poppy Nashville songwriter shit, Walmart audience, to the curb. That's just a grown man writing a grown-up song for grown-ups about grown-up love. And it transcends. Amen. That's my pick. Amen. I would have bet my house that you couldn't come up with one that had to be on that list, but you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. And you I never grabbed thought a of that completely different era, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant, and it's wildly different than anything we've picked, yep. which is wonderful. It just sits outside, and I think appreciation of Dylan involves hearing all sides of him, and that, again, is a fourth side, wildly different, completely different era, at a time when a lot of people argued he was done. And he won the Grammy for Best Album of the Year, right? I believe so. That year? And you mentioned Garth Brooks, also covered by Adele and Billy Joel. Wow. Oh, right. Yeah, they, everyone covers that song. Version. Hell, my grandma covered that song. But that, but it's <laughs> that just shows that... Great. It's just he's just he's tapped into something in the universe that transcends time going on your Okay, so let's go back to so we I do another one. So we're going back it's a snake draft. So I go we I go reverse order. Snake. <laughs> you mean you get to go again? I get to go again, it he goes did reverse it on order. Like that. If you actually you know, analyze this, it. I couldn't be in it. a worse position. I'm actually in each way I'm third. Whereas you get to be first at what I couldn't have picked a worse number. Well, you just have to have a positive attitude. Yes, positive attitude. Okay, so my next one. Life is a positive attitude. That's what's been my problem. My next one, I'm going to kind of go along the same, the same, uh, the same ballpark, is presenting it to a younger audience or just people. So I play music down to the Beto Club twice a month. And uh, Sam plays the other ones. Nicole, we're jamming with her. She plays in bands, whatever. And so I like to choose songs that are literally anybody that that knows anything about music, pretty much. You can hop up on, and we can just fucking jam. Either a harmonica, guitar, whatever. I love that. And so, like, I call them universal jammers. So Mm -hmm. anyone that comes up, I have, like, 60 songs. If you grab one, you just start playing and I think he's written one of the best universal jammer songs of all time, interpreted by one of the best universal jammers of all time, off one of my favorite records, which he was trying to imitate Gordon Lightfoot, in my opinion, what he said, off his John Wesley Harden record, All Along the Watchtower, 1967. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. That is another angle, Tom. 
Pardon? To take. That's another last? angle to look at Dylan. He wrote one of the best jammer songs of all time. It's mm-hmm. funny. I've never thought of it as a jammer song. You're making me pause and go, why does that get classified as that? Maybe, Ryan, you would know. Why is that a jammer? Is it chord progression? Yeah, just chord progression. Yeah, isn't it just like... Uh, it doesn't... Uh, I'm trying to just like play the song chords? quickly in my head. Like, Does it change between the... Like the verses and the core. No, hell no. It's, it's like the no, same I think thing it's just whole... straightforward the whole way through. Is it just two right? yeah. chords? Yeah, and there's it's nothing, three chords. There's yeah. nothing that's wildly different in one part of the song than I'd say another part where I mean, if you haven't even heard it, I think you can just no hell no. I played all right through it. It's like heavy metal. It's and then just loop it. Yeah, it's, jam. it's just three chords, like a whole step apart, right? Like yep. going down. A yep. Bit. And then and then Jimi Hendrix made it so cool, and yeah. and uh, and the lyrics are. It's just these trippy, you know. The lyrics are kind of bizarre. The like re- bizarre. The recording of it that I that stands out in my mind is the Budokan concert live one of his of him doing it, and I I don't know who's I think I feel like George Harrison is on stage with him or something. I feel like they're could be. Uh, but that's a really great recording of that song. Yes, that it, was a, the George Harrison would have been with them for the concert okay. for Bangladesh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so I don't know who's with him in Budokan, or he's I just doing it by with it. I don't my, my, But I that's don't that's what I remember of that song. It's funny. I'm 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 thinking of this as as you say the lyrics are uh, bizarre. Up until now, the four songs that we picked. The lyrics are actually very straightforward. Straightforward. Extraordinarily straightforward, Ryan, in in the times they are changing. In uh, in the pick, uh, Like a Rolling Stone, everybody knows what's going on there. Nobody doesn't know the kind of person he's talking to and what he's saying. In Tangled Up in Blue... It, it's still a story, and everybody is into the story, and the verses may seem slightly just disjointed, but it's very clear you're being told a story. And in Let Me Feel Your Love, or what is it? Help me. Let, let me feel my love. Let me feel your love. What is the Make song? you feel my love. Make you feel my love. Uh, that one is almost Burt Bacharach straightforward. Yeah. So this is the first time we're deviating into Dylan as... The lyric writer where, what were you on kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure he was on some. Okay, what's up, Nicole? Number three? Um, so yeah, I just Tom, went... Tom's up. Oh, Tom, you're up. All right. <laughs> yeah, okay, Tom. Great. The eternal number three. It take that long. God. <laughs> I am going to go way out in left field. Astoundingly far, thinking strategically. I'm going to throw out Dylan's first song. Oh, again? What? The, yes. What is it? From from the album known as Dylan's Folly, John Hammond's effort that everybody said was ridiculous, horrible, hardly mm-hmm. sold. Mm-hmm. But the reason it's important to pick that one is What's you are the name trying of the song? to get a, I'm not there yet. Oh fuck. You are trying to get a sense you are trying to get a sense of the man. You're trying to understand him. You need to go back to the very beginning. You need to understand his motivation, the whole reason he went out to New York from Minneapolis. And to understand that, you need to understand Woody Guthrie. And to understand his infatuation with Woody Guthrie, you need to hear the first song he ever wrote and, and recorded, Song to Woody. I'm out here a thousand miles from my home 
Walking the road of the man who gone down. I'm seeing a world of people and things. Of paupers and peasants and princes and kings. Nice. I've never heard it. Never oh, heard really? it once. Wow. Wait, what? No, never heard it. Hey, hey, you Woody Guthrie, I wrote you, you a song. You should listen to it. I should definitely listen yeah. to it. It's great. All right, who's next, Nicole? All right, up next we have Ryan. Ryan! Oh, my gosh. Okay, I wasn't uh, thinking. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going to go with uh, Positively 4th Street. Good pick. Oh, man. Oh, man, um, I totally forgot about it. Yeah. I, can actually, I forgot about it. Um, oh! It's got a similar uh, kind of uh, uh, organ thing, uh, you know, line. I don't know, the line isn't the same, but, like, just the, the organ has the hook in the, in the same way that... Uh, like a Rolling Stone does. We call it a beat club. He cuts a fucking promo. Um, oh, man. But this was like the first song I think that I ever heard by Bob Dylan. Oh. And the reason... Really? Uh, yeah. The the reason that it, it stuck in my mind is because my mom loved it. And my mom okay. did not like Bob Dylan. She did not like any of his songs. She didn't like that style of music. She was Why into, did like, she like that song then? She loved that song, especially because of the line. And she told me, she's like, this is fucking brilliant. Uh, well, without swearing, I was like six or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she loved the line about how uh, I wish you could wear my shoes and I could wear your shoes so you could see what a drag it is to see you. Oh she my thought gosh. that was oh, fucking awesome. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. Yes. She's like, that's the best line in the song I've ever heard. Like, I love that. What a drag it is to see you. <laughs> well, the beauty of picking that one, that's in, genius. In, in my mind, that's a good is song. it's the first song of. picked out of anybody's picks that hits what Dylan did so often in his career and did really well, which was the mean song. Yeah. Ooh, I like his, his mean song, songs. Well, it, he wrote the nastiest mean songs of anybody. <laughs> I mean, no one up to, up to him, I don't think, had quite mastered this gift of just obliterating people in song, and everybody's tapping along as someone is literally being disemboweled by him. And it became a theme with him. In fact, uh, one time I had an opportunity to interview a guy who wrote both a biography on Dylan and a biography on uh, Van Morrison, and he had this great quote. He said, when Dylan tries to be nice and write a song that's sweet, he struggles. He does his... <laughs> He does his best work when he's pissed off. Yeah. But okay. as a man, he's not an angry man. He's not an angry guy, but when he writes songs with anger in them, the songs tend to be better than the songs when he's just feeling happy about life. Mm -hmm. Van Morrison is the opposite. Van Morrison, when he tries to be mean and angry, the song fails. But he happens to be a mean and angry guy. Mm -hmm. The songs that succeed are these ethereal happy, soul-enriching, beautiful tunes that really aren't representative of who he is as a person. I always thought that was... You could sit all day analyzing that. Oscar Wildish. That is that is interesting. Yeah, because I did not know... I don't know any person about Van the Man. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is super interesting. One little tidbit about the 4th Street song is that I, I do remember reading that was recorded just like three or four days after the Newport show. You know, oh, where yeah. he got booed and oh, the whole yeah. thing. 
So that was like right after that. So maybe there's, you know, a little bit of venom right, in there right, because of yeah. that. Perhaps. Yeah. 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 I don't know that that song was written in the four days. Probably not. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's a little bit of, uh, yeah. you know, a little spice in there from that. Sure. Oh. I make a I'm making a promise. The second we're done with this, I'm gonna blast that goddamn song. I haven't heard that in years. <laughs> right? That's a good one. Okay, Nicole Stanton, who's next? Courtney. Courtney, right, yes, well, me I, I wanna say that I still have several songs um in my, my list of I made a list with two extras, so I made a list of seven. And so I still have quite a few. And I'm uh I'm quite torn. So I'm gonna do this based on if I could only listen to one of these recordings ever again in my life. Okay, that's okay. what I'm going to do it like like ride or die. Like, I have to have this one. And it still is really hard for me to say, but I think I'm going to pick... I'm going to add in this then to that one. I'm the one I'm, I know which one I'm picking, and I'm going to say that not only if I could only listen to one of these, it would be this one... But also that I think, like, if I had to tell, like, some young kid, like, this is who Bob Dylan is, you stupid little fucker. <laughs> Why would you I say would that pick... to him, though? I mean, the guy's five years old. He's just <laughs> coming Not over five. to... Oh. I'm thinking, like, 13. Okay. You know? Anyway, I would go with <laughs> pistol shots rang out in a bar room night. Enter Patty Valentine yeah. from the upper hall. Right, hurricane. Uh, hurricane. Great song. And I, on, I want to add to that that I got, I had a really wonderful experience of getting to play a show with the woman who played the violin on that recording, Scarlett Rivera. Oh no way! Cool. And um, and so I probably have like some like extra special idea about that recording, but I think that recording, like, like a person should have to listen to that at least once in their life if you're on the planet Earth. Wow. And just to be clear, you said that if there was one song and only one song? No, I'm saying of the ones I had left. Oh, okay. If I, Of the ones I had left, if I could only hear one of those ever okay. again, it would be Hurricane. Because I think that's a pump, a pump you up. I'll be honest, that's one of my least favorite Bob Dylan songs. Okay, see? Really? So you know, I don't, so first, I I've never that. gotten into it. I jam that in the car all the time. I've never gotten into it. I don't know why. I know that it's considered a work of genius. I For some reason, it comes across as one of those that's rambly and just, I first, I never got into it. It's I don't know why. It's a journalistic song, which is so bizarre. I mean, in that respect, it's sort of like Hattie Carroll. Uh, it's, it's almost taken straight from the papers. He's not goofing around. He's not playing with the language so mm-hmm. much. He's telling just this real tale. And he worked with a journalist. I don't remember that guy's name. Do you remember the guy's name? I didn't even know he worked with a he journalist. He worked with a journalist who had who had studied the, I don't know what you call that. The, the trial de- or whatever. The debacle, whatever happened. Yeah. Um, yes, of, of Reuben Carter, right? This guy had, had was sort of an expert on... And he helped Bob write the song. He's, I think he's credited, honestly. Wow. That's outstanding. Well, it sounds like it was literally written to get Hurricane Carter a new trial or released or whatever. I mean, it's so... If a journalist came along and said, well, I'm going to write a piece in Mother Jones and try and reopen this case, they couldn't have done a better job, you know? Wow. And uh, speaking of... Uh, uh, I- I've stolen a few fiddle licks... I play fiddle too. I've stolen a few uh, fiddle licks from her. 
from Scarlett yeah. Rivera. Yep. Brilliant woman. Yeah, Brilliant a, woman. A woman who was just walking down the street with a violin case in New York. How many people were out that day? And mm-hmm. Dylan just runs into her. That's yeah. how she called to her from like a, the car. He yeah, was on. exactly. Yeah. And she and she told me that story to my face. I know that's the. I know yeah, that. I remember story. reading that story, and she mm-hmm. said like, "I don't. I, I'm not gonna. If somebody, I'm not gonna go in a car with somebody or like something mm-hmm. along those lines. Like, you can't just stop and tell me to go somewhere, meet mm-hmm. you somewhere. I'm not gonna do that. Right. <laughs> but it was the to the recording studio, and right. it and you know the rest is history. They did the Rolling Thunder review, whole tour together, yeah. and it's crazy. Okay, guys, we need to take five. Um, you guys rock. This is absolutely outstanding. Uh, we're going to pause this. We're going to take five, grab a beer, take a break. We'll come continue on. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is a song by one of the featured guests this week, Courtney Yasmini, with her song, Bury Me in Boots of Spanish Leather. Big thanks to Andrew Crowley of Organica Studios for assisting in post-production. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, MarkSteryMusic.net. For song or artist submissions, please email me at MarkSteryMusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Bury me in boots of Spanish leather John Prince lyrics tattooed on my heart Please tell Mr. Dylan I have forgiven him for never acknowledging my Forgiven for never acknowledging my love